So anyway, we're going to talk about Christ-like attitudes today. Most of you guys know that that's kind of the theme, Christ-like ambitions, attitudes, and actions. And I think the reason we picked those is because they are so important, those three issues. They all work off of each other. Your ambitions are, are the core of what you value and what you see as important. And that core is going to determine daily how you feel and how you act. Does that make sense? And so I really appreciated what Hetty had to say about Christ's ambition for us, Christ's ambition for the lost, coming to seek and to save the lost, and the eternal perspective that that should work into our lives as we realize what's truly important. And snowboarding is fun, but it is not truly important, necessarily. Um, as much fun as <laughs> Jake is like, oh, this is heresy. <laughs> I don't know if I can stay here. But anyway, so we want to talk about Christ-like attitudes tonight. So bear with me. It will take a little bit of a turn in, in, a, in an area that I think attitudes are based on, and it's going to be real similar to some stuff that Hetty talked about. So I really feel strongly that this is stuff that God wants all of us here to walk away from this retreat with. So I hope it encourages you. So attitudes are flexible. I made this definition up because I couldn't find a good one I liked. So if you can't find a definition you like, just make one up. Uh, Attitudes are flexible mental and emotional outlooks. They're alterable dispositions based on how you think and feel about something or someone. It's flexible. It can change. And it's a mental and emotional outlook. It's not just one or the other. Right? Your attitude is going to be affected by what you think and how you feel about a situation or a person or some issue. They can be good or they can be bad, and they can produce good fruit and they can produce bad fruit. Does that, does that register? It, either way, it doesn't, their attitudes are not all bad and they're not all good. So it's important for us to evaluate our feelings and our attitudes. Remember what Paul said to the Philippians. He said, it is right for me to feel this way about you. He was talking to them about his love for them. And he evaluated his own feelings. He wasn't just like, okay, it's fine to feel that way. He just, even that feeling, he wanted to evaluate and make sure it was godly. And so we're called to do the same. They can be changed. When I have a bad attitude, I don't have to keep that bad attitude. I can change my attitude. We don't just have to live with whatever attitude I happen to have. And that might sound rudimentary, but it's not. There are a lot of people that live every day based on Oh, I feel this way today, so I guess that means that's what I have to do. Your attitudes, thinking, and feeling are based in your convictions, your ambitions, and your values. That's where they start. If something is important to you, if you feel strongly about it, if you're convinced of it, and if you treasure it, it's going to determine how you feel about it, and how you think about it, and what attitudes you have about it. I don't have attitude issues about which team gets into the NBA Finals. I could care less. I don't follow basketball. But I really can get my attitudes in the right or wrong place based on what the Cardinals do in baseball. Does that make sense? See, my values are going to determine how I feel about things. Right? So if I want to be able to change my attitudes, I need to be able to make sure my values are in the right place first. So that's kind of the the foundation, and we'll get a lot into that. But I want to start by saying that you aren't who you used to be. And a lot of times Christ comes into our life, and we have the tendency almost to think, well, that's the way I am. I've always been really stubborn and hard-nosed. I've always been this way. When Christ comes into our life, He wants to do a thorough change. And the attitudes that I used to have do not have to be the attitudes that I have now. Because God wants to change that. You can turn with me to Ephesians. I'll read most of the verses. This is kind of a longer passage. So you can follow with me and read. It's Ephesians 4, verses 20 through chapter 5, verse 1. I'll give you a second to get there. This passage is Paul talking to the Ephesians a lot about this whole issue of who you used to be, who you are now, And what kind of attitudes should reflect the change that God is doing in our heart? And see, as I want to become more and more Christ-like, those attitudes are going to have to change. They can't stay the same. God wants to have control of those attitudes. So starting in verse 20, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to the former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, 
and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what does that look like? Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. That attitude of anger used to be pervasive in a lot of our lives. And God is saying, not anymore. When I feel that anger, I need to surrender it to God. And I need to deal with it in a Christ-like way. And I shouldn't hold on to it for long. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. What if uh, Mark walked in, and I said, you freaking idiot, Mark, I can't believe what a stupid sweatshirt you wore today. Okay? What if you guys heard that? That would not be words coming out of my mouth that build Mark up. But I've heard that stuff in the subcup. There was this guy that we used to share Christ with, and this, there used to be this student here that had like, like huge hair. Remember that, guys? I'm talking with this non-Christian guy, and he's telling me about how Christians are the source of all the evil in the world. This guy walks in, and he goes, I want to beep and beat his beeping head right beeping in. I said, why? He's like, can you see his beeping haircut? What a smash your beeping face in. Okay? And I'm going, your attitude needs to change. But see, that's a symptom of not having Christ in my heart. Right? And when Christ comes into our life, he wants to change those attitudes to be attitudes that reflect his attitudes, not to be the old attitudes. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed at the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Okay, now that's kind of a little synopsis of who you used to be, who God wants you to be, and right smack in the middle, God says, we need Christ-like attitudes. And that's kind of part of this transformation that he's doing in each of our lives. You're not going to get there overnight. Mark Mills, it's not going to be there tomorrow morning. But it's a process. It's a lifelong battle, guys. And on the topic of battles, you're each in a battle, and you're each in a fight. And a lot of times we don't realize that we are in a daily fight. Have you guys ever felt on campus, like going out and just saying in the middle of the snack bar, I love Jesus! (laughs) Or do you ever go, man, I might get slandered. I might get slandered. I might get kicked out of here. You guys are in a fight, and you're going to face opposition. And I want to read another short passage that talks about who we're supposed to be in that fight. And it's 1 Peter 4, 3 through 13. Okay, so turn with me there, and this will be the last turning you have to do tonight. 1 Peter 4, 3 through 13. And just a side note before we read, if you fight to survive, you don't always win. But if you fight to win, you always survive. I want to clarify. If you're on the battlefield, and your whole concept is just make it out alive, you'll be real quick to raise that white flag and say, I surrender, just don't kill me. A lot of times Christians do that. They fight to survive. As long as I can just not look at porn, that would be great. You know, As long as I can go to church at least twice this semester, that would be good. That's fighting to survive. And if that's where we're at, we're going to get captured every single time. But if our goal is to fight to win, if I'm going, I'm going to reach my class for Christ, I'm going to reach my roommates for Christ, I'm going, to, I'm going to be the light that God called me to be on this campus, if we're fighting to win, you're always going to survive. You're always going to survive, guys. That will always happen. So going back to the fight, this is the fight that we're in. 1 Peter 4, 3-13. through 13. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. Have you ever had friends say, why don't you go party with us anymore like you used to? That's what he's saying. They think it's weird that you don't do the kinds of things that you used to do with them. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Talk about some godly attitudes, being clear-minded and self-controlled, so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. Tomorrow when we're cleaning this place up, remember that verse. Okay? So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Again, this big, defining issue. Are we the new creation that God made us to be, or are we the old creation? And God wants us to be transitioning from old to new. He's made us a new creation. I'll share that verse in a minute. But as you're thinking about that fight, that battle between the old and the new, we pick that passage up in verse 3. I want you to go back to verses 1 and 2. So 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. It's talking about this fight. It's talking about the suffering that Christ endured and that we did. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires, but rather for the will of God. So we're getting to the core. If I want to win the battle that I find myself in, and if I want to be the man or the woman that God has called me to be, then it goes back to arming myself with his attitude. This isn't a passive issue. It's not like, oh, if I, if I have Christ-like attitude, I'll be, I'll be so passive I'll never talk to fly about Jesus. You know, he's saying arm yourself with Christ's attitude. This is an aspect of a battle you're in. And you're only going to win it when you arm yourself with Christ's attitude. So how do I get Christ's attitude, though? Life convictions are the foundation for Christ-like attitudes, and that's what I want to focus on tonight. I want to go to the very foundation, which is kind of what Hetty did, which is why I'm convinced that's what God wants to do with each of us this weekend. So I want to get to the life convictions. I can ignore my life convictions today. Christ is my Lord, but today I can ignore His Lordship. I should not, but I can So I want to talk about daily, how can I live in the Christ-like attitudes that I'm called to arm myself with. And it starts with a daily connection, guys. That daily connection with God, it enables me to have a lifestyle of Christ-like attitudes. If you're not spending time with Christ every single day, you are not going to be having Christ's attitudes that day. I, I can say every time I'm in an argumentative mood with Aaron, every time I snap at Aaron... Almost every single time, if I look back at today that I didn't have a quiet time or I had a really quick, like, check it off the list type of time with God. When I'm really connecting with God on a deep, deep level, those days I get to be the husband that God has called me to be. Because I show the Christ-like attitudes that Christ desires, but that's coming out of a daily connection with Him. So before we go any further, I want to encourage you, it starts with a daily quiet time with God. It starts with a daily time with Him. You can read more about that in the discipleship packet or talk with whoever is discipling you about it. So, first and fundamentally, we have to have a time every single day with God. Walking daily in the power of the Holy Spirit is the next big deal, guys. If I'm walking daily in the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be empowered to have Christ's attitudes. Because His Holy Spirit in me has Christ's attitudes. And can live those out through me. 2 Corinthians 3.18 promises you that the Holy Spirit is transforming you into Christ's likeness every single day. So it starts with being empowered by Him. Now I want to make a note, and this is also in the discipleship packet, so don't miss this stuff, it's good. The Holy Spirit indwells you from the moment you trust Christ. Which means the second you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in your life until you go to be with Him. Okay? He will never leave you. He's there. As a deposit guaranteeing your salvation, it says in Ephesians 1. Jesus said if you believed in Him, you'd have the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6 both tell you that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So every one of you that have trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you right now. Okay, That's all there is to it. He's never leaving you. But at the same time, you can choose not to walk in His power. You can choose to ignore Him I always tell people the Holy Spirit has one gigantic problem. He's invisible, inaudible. Okay, and it's kind of a joke because it's obviously not a problem. But you have to get real good at surrendering to Him every single day and letting Him be in charge because He's not going to hijack your life. If you decide, I'm going to be on the throne, He's going to say, 
Good luck with that, Spencer. <laughs> or good luck with that, Sam. Okay? And eventually I'm going to come to my senses and go, Oh, I'm so sorry, God. How could I do that? But I want to give you what we call the ABCDs of being filled with the Spirit, empowered with the Spirit. And this is all from Scripture, and it's all in the discipleship packet. And it's real easy to remember. Chaton knows it. Chaton, what is it? What's A? Ask Him to fill you with His Spirit. Profound. No, just kidding. It's not profound. It's very simple. Ask God, fill me and control me with your Spirit right now, God. And He says He will. Isn't that cool? Luke eleven thirteen. And 1 John 5, 14-15, if you're taking notes, you can check those out. Believe he will by faith. In James 1, 6-7, it says, if you ask God, don't doubt. See, if I ask God to fill me with his spirit, he already commanded me to in, in Ephesians 5, 18. So he's not going to say no to what he already commanded me to. So when I ask him to fill me with his spirit, I can trust by faith that he does. Confess any known sin, that's C. 1 John 1, 9 says that he'll be faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But did you catch that last part of Ephesians 4? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's talking about all that sin. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit's not going to leave you, but you can grieve Him. And you can walk in your own selfishness instead of in His power. And we don't want that. So when you, when you see that sin, when God, when the Holy Spirit makes you aware of that sin, be quick to confess it, like Malcolm was talking about. Don't run like Adam and Eve. Be quick to confess it. Okay, desire Christ-likeness. In, in Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, If you desire righteousness, you will be filled. If I desire Christ-likeness, He will fill me with His Spirit and empower me to live a Christ-like righteous life. But it's all in His power, it's not my own. Finally, guys, surrender control to Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 3. I will hit that in a minute. Those are the ABCDs. Ask, believe, confess, desire, surrender. But really, it's simple. <laughs> okay, it's so simple. I ask him, be on the throne. That's all I want right now. I want you to be running the show, not me. We call that a throne check. And sometimes in the discipleship act it says do this every 15 minutes. Uh, it, it might be more, it might be less. But it's whenever I realize he's not on the throne. I need to get him back on the throne. And you guys, seriously, if you're in an argument, I'll use Aaron again. If I'm in an argument with Aaron, and then I go, hmm, is Christ on the throne right now? I can promise you, never one time has Christ been on the throne when I was having an argument with my wife. <laughs> Isn't that just a radical concept? But you know what? The second I say, okay, I need you to be on the throne, wow, there's a whole lot of peace that comes out of that. See, my attitudes conform real quickly to Christ's when His Spirit is empowering me. So fundamentally, what are the two things that we do every day? Quiet time, Quiet time and throne check, filled with the Holy Spirit, Okay. Have time with God every single day, connecting intimately with Him. And then number two, be filled consciously with His Holy Spirit. So those are like the daily things that need to be happening every day if I'm going to have Christ's attitudes. But I want to go now to the life convictions. And we're going to start with Philippians 2.5. This is a big command. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Jake, how are you doing on that? Okay, good. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not doing too good. No, when I think of that verse, I'm like, man, it should be the same as Christ Jesus? Wow, that's hardcore, dude. It kind of scares me. But you guys, I want to make a note. He never commands you to do something that he doesn't empower you for. Does that make sense? Did you get that? He never says, Taylor, you have to fly three times around the room before you can have a relationship with me. See, that would be commanding you to something that's impossible. And God doesn't do that. If you see a command in Scripture, it means it's possible. To obey. And he says, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. So I know it's possible to obey that command. We won't naturally have his attitude, though. So God tells us in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, guys, that my thoughts and actions are different than his. I'm not normally and naturally on the same page with God. If you want to have a Christ-like attitude, you first have to have Christ's core values convictions and ambitions. When you get Christ's core values and ambitions, what drove him, what Hetty talked about this morning, that's going to produce a lifestyle of his daily attitudes in you. And then every day I follow that up with spending time with him and being filled with his spirit. But it ultimately goes back to those life convictions. Romans 12, 1-3 kind of hits some of those life convictions. It says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So what's number one? Living sacrifice, okay? Offer yourself 
Your life is sacrificed for God. In other words, I'm dying to myself. And then it says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Number two, I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. God's word is getting in my mind and it's changing the way I think. It's changing the way I look at the world because it's his thoughts that are getting in my head. Okay, then you'll be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So he concludes with this command to be humble. Okay, so there are four things here. There's one don't and there are three do's. And here they go. Romans 12, 1 through 3 says, don't conform to the world. Now, I promise you guys, if you are living up the party scene, and cheating on your tests, and sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and smoking crack, okay? And then you're wondering, why don't I have Christ's attitudes? Okay? Well, I'll tell you, you're being conformed to the world. And if we really want to have Christ's attitudes, I need to quit being conformed to the world. It doesn't mean that I have to become perfect. But what it does mean is that I make a lifestyle choice. I develop a core conviction that I'm not running the world's way, but I'm running God's way. And that's what the Bible refers to as repentance. It's a change of my thinking. I'm going God's way, not the world's way. Second, uh, Romans 12, 1-3 says, Renew your mind in God's Word. So I need to be getting in God's Word and renewing my thinking. Guys, if you think like Christ, you're going to act like Christ. That's what Mark is going to talk more about tomorrow. But if I want to think like Christ, I've got to get His Word in my head. Summit Ministries did this worldview diagram that I wanted to at least mention here. As Christians, your worldview, basically your biblical perspective on life, what God says is true, that gives you your values and convictions. Why do I think abortion is wrong? I think abortion is wrong because God says life is precious and that I should protect it. Now, I know that's a big issue on campus and God forgives women that have had abortions and men that have caused them to. And God desires to love them. They're often big time victims in that whole thing. But I want to I make a note that my values come out of my worldview. Does that make sense? My worldview determines my values. Now here's the next level of that, guys. My values determine my actions, which is where Mark is going to go tomorrow. But my actions aren't just random. Why does Mark get up on a bench and tell people about how much Jesus loves them? That would be a stupid thing to do just for fun. okay? But he does that because his values are Christ's values, and his worldview is Christ's worldview. See, it's, there's a reason to it. It's not just random. Now, in the world, it's the opposite of that. And this is the way Summit Ministries describe it. In the world, your actions, whatever you happen to do, that determines your values. Oh, I do that, so I value this. And then whatever you value because your actions determines your worldview. So see, now your worldview is just totally random. There's no foundation for it. There's no basis for it. It's just anywhere. Does that make sense? So as a Christian, it goes, worldview, values, actions. Okay, in the world it goes, actions, values, worldview. And that's why if we want to have Christ's attitudes and actions, we've got to get back to, to His Word as truth and let that renew our minds. Now, going on from there, Romans 12, 1 through 3 says we need to live a life of sacrifice. That's the, the second do. Live a life of sacrifice. In other words, I'm putting him first, not me. It goes back to that throne thing. And then finally, Romans 12, 1 through 3 says live a life of humility. And that's kind of one of the key aspects in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. We'll go back to 5 through 11. We read 5, which commands us to have Christ's attitude. But then it tells us what his attitudes were, and it really hits the issue of humility and sacrifice, which is kind of why I want to focus there tonight. But on that note, guys, Romans 12, 1-3 basically tells us that we'll experience transformation in Christ-likeness as we learn to say no to the world and its influences, as we um, grow in God's Word, as we live lives of sacrifice, and as we live in humility. Okay, those are some, some big keys about this transformation that needs to happen with the core of who I am if I want to have Christ's attitudes. So what are some Christ-like attitudes that you would like to emulate? Let's hear them. Servanthood. Servanthood. That's it? Uh, just kidding. I know 
Christ have more attitude than that? Forgiveness. Joy. What? Love. Patience. What? Gentleness. Peace. Self-control. What? Jessica? Uh, self-control? You guys, there are no wrong answers. Well, there are. Like, if you say hatred, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> but I think you guys are on the right track. Any other ideas? Christ-like attitudes. Humility. Perseverance. High fives. High fives. Faithfulness. That's a huge one. Malcolm. Peace. There you go. Okay, anybody else? Commitment. Compassion. Love. Creativity. Resourcefulness. Resourcefulness. That's awesome. You guys are so creative and resourceful. Okay. What else? You're like Christ. There you Spencer, you are Christ-like. So cool. Okay. Anything else, guys? Anything else? What do you think? Outgoing. Outgoing, yeah. Selflessness. Selflessness. That's huge, Catherine. That's awesome. Living in harmony, absolutely. Obedience. Obedience. Not judging. Not judging. Okay. Truthfulness. What else, guys? Righteousness. Righteousness. Integrity. Integrity. Awareness. Awareness. Jesus was more aware than anybody. You know, every time these Pharisees had a good trap for him, he was just like, bam! <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh, we hate this guy. <laughs> okay, anything else? Those are all great, great, great attitudes of Christ that you guys mentioned. Gosh, wouldn't you like to live those kinds of lives, guys? Isn't that what kind, of, kind of what we're shooting for? What kind of actions do you think that would produce? Do you think all that stuff that you just said, do you think it would produce... Really bad marriages? No. <laughs> Do you think it would produce really bad parenting? No. <laughs> no. Do you think Do you think your kids would grow up and say, Man, my dad was a stupid, humble guy, man. Mm. <laughs> he always asked forgiveness after he did something wrong. I hated it. Okay. No, that's not going to happen, guys. See, if we can get Christ's attitudes... It's going to make us the kind of people that God wants us to be. It's going to transform our actions, which in turn is going to transform a whole lot. We'll end up being a lot like Christ if we can get a hold of these attitudes. So you guys, those were excellent. And those are all great examples of Christ-like attitudes. Hatchet is falling asleep. You needed more coffee, Hatchet. Gosh, I hate it when the dogs fall asleep when I talk. Okay, so Philippians 2, 5 through 11. If you want, you can read it. I'm just going to read it right now, though. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We read that a minute ago. And it continues. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I kind of want to hit this issue of humility and sacrifice, because I think these are the core convictions that it describes in Christ's life in this passage, and it's directly after it tells me to have Christ's attitude. So if I want to have Christ's attitude, those are the core convictions I need. Obedience, and specifically, guys, this is hardcore, obedience to the point of death. Andrew Murray said, Humility is not a virtue to be counted along with all the other virtues, but rather it is a foundation for all the other virtues. If I can get to a place of humility, then all those attitudes you guys just described are going to start to grow. But if I don't get there, it's never going to happen. And the actions that they produce will never happen either. So pride is defined as thinking of yourself differently than God thinks of you. Romans 12.3, we read that a minute ago. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. So the idea here, guys, is to think of yourself the way God thinks of you. No higher, no lesser. Does that make sense? If you're walking around saying, I'm a stupid idiot, I'm so dumb, that's pride in a very awkward way. And it's pride because you're disagreeing with God about who you are. In other words, you're putting your opinion about who you are above God's opinion of who you are. And that's pride, right? So I've seen people walk around their whole lives talking about, oh, I'm nothing, God can never use me. And I want to say, that's, that's pride and arrogance. Because you think that you're 
wrong opinion about yourself is greater than what God says is true about you. Right? But also, if I walk around saying, I'm the greatest, God could never survive without me, and we definitely hear things that almost sound like that occasionally, that is the other extreme of pride. And God doesn't want either of those. He wants us to be right in the middle where we realize who we are in Christ, and that's good enough, and what He's doing in me. So the truth about your identity without Christ, Hitler, Stalin, Bin Laden, Enron, Ted Haggard, they're all very much possible outcomes for our lives. And it's not just that they were some terrible people. They were human beings that made some really bad decisions. And we could all end up there. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride hinders fellowship with God and it destroys relationships with others. It will keep me from the abundant and meaningful life that God called me to and promised me and it prevents me from accomplishing my life purpose. It negatively impacts eternity. Grasp that. If I live in pride, guys... Eternity is going to be affected because of it. That's why in James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5, it says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because pride really messes us up. It messes God up. It messes the people around us up. And it messes up all God wants to do with our lives. Now compare that to humility and thinking of myself the same way God does. Right? The same way God does. I'm his son. I'm securely saved. I'm eternally loved. I'm completely accepted. I'm being conformed daily to his character. And he has a huge purpose for my life that's not insignificant. I need to view myself that way, the same way he does. So humility is the foundational attitude of Christ that produces all other Christ-like attitudes, guys. And humility is a correct response to his lordship. Humility is, is realizing he's God and I'm not. Sometimes we'll have students that say things like, You guys can't make me share my faith. I don't have to. Well, we can't make you. But God commanded it. See, I heard it put this way recently. No Lord is an impossible statement. Can you all say that? No Lord is an impossible statement. Let's hear it. No Lord is an impossible statement. If He's my Lord, the only possible response is one of humility that says, Yes, Lord. And I might not like what you're calling me to. It might feel very uncomfortable. But I'm going to follow you because I know you have my best interest in mind. And I know that you said following you is what will make me most happy. Bill Bright said there are no happy, disobedient Christians, no unhappy, obedient Christians. If I'm following him in obedience, I will genuinely be satisfied. Otherwise, not a shot. So no Lord is an impossible statement. If God says it, I do it. That's lordship, that's humility. That's what Christ demonstrated for me. In Luke 9, 23-24, which Hetty read this morning, it says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. See, guys, to live and to have this Christ-like attitude that consumes me and produces Christ-like actions, I need to get to this point of being willing to deny myself. Being willing to die to myself and to lose myself. And Jesus promises you that out of that you'll find yourself. And until that you'll never find yourself. But when you get to that point of saying, okay, I'm done trying and I'm ready to die to myself and let you take over God. It's at that point that he really begins to live his life through me. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, if I want to get to that point of Christ-likeness, I have to die. Nate Herbst has to die. Nate Herbst, the longer he lives, the less Christ lives through me. And I've got to get to that point where Paul said... I had to die. I had to be crucified with Christ so that Christ could live through me by faith and through the power of His Holy Spirit. But until that point, as long as I was alive, it didn't happen. A.W. Tozer nailed the nail on the head saying, In every Christian's heart there is a cross and a throne, and the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. Get that? Till I put myself on the cross. And if he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of all the backsliding and worldliness among believers today. We want to be saved, but insist Christ do all the dying. And see, Christ is calling us to a point of death. That's a hard way to put it. And here's the interesting thing about crucifixion, and it's just an analogy. This isn't in the Bible or anything like that, but it will really help you think this through. You could nail your hand to the cross, and then you have a free hand to nail your feet to the cross. 
But how are you going to get that last hand nailed to the cross? You can't do it. Right? It's going to take Leah Jensen nailing that hand to the cross for you. And you're going to hate Leah Jensen when she's pounding that nail through your hand. Okay? You guys, people in this room are going to hurt you. And it's going to be part of what it takes for you to die to yourself. And it's going to be hard to respond in humility and forgiveness to those people. And the tendency a lot of times is I'm just going to run away and find another group. But you know what? It's going to happen there too. And right now, if you look at most churches, that's what it is. It's a bunch of people running around from church to church to church. And they'll stay one place until they, until they get a little offended. Then it's off somewhere else. Andrew Murray, again, in his book, Humility, you guys should all read it. But in humility, put it this way. Many Christians fear and flee and seek deliverance from all that would humble them. At times they may pray for humility, but in their heart of hearts they pray even more to be kept from the things that would bring them to that place. And that's true. See, I get to this point in my walk where I want to be more Christ-like, but by golly, you better not cut me off in traffic. Okay? And I've been there too. My sister-in-law once said, Nate, you're so godly, you don't cuss. I said, yeah, but I sure say freaking idiot pretty loud in the car sometimes. And I said, it might not be an actual four-letter word, but my heart's just the same. <laughs> right? It's, uh, I'm sure in God's eyes, God's not like, well, at least it wasn't an F-bomb. You know? <laughs> Thank God it's going, Nate, it's the wrong attitude. Okay? We were joking about the four law booklet, saying let's start dropping, dropping the F-bomb on people. The four laws. The new Christ-like F-bomb? Okay, no. That was just a side joke. But anyway, guys, I'm going <laughs> to... like that a lot. <laughs> I dropped the F-bomb on three people today. No. Okay, it is cheesy, but it's funny. Okay, so guys, God is calling me to this place of dying to myself, of getting off the throne and on the cross, and surrendering everything to Him. Humility results in a life of dying to self, which produces radical obedience and reckless abandon. Why did Jesus do the things He did? Why was He comfortable speaking to thousands? The Pharisees would corner Him to kill Him. They'd send men to arrest Him so that they could kill Him. And He walked freely. He had no fear. He spoke with authority. He spoke convincingly. And he, and he challenged people. Remember when Jesus spoke so hard that all of his disciples started leaving? What if I, what if I said something right now and all you guys stood up and walked out? <laughs> okay? And, and didn't even bother him. You know, his 12 were there. And, and he says, hey, are you guys going to leave too? <laughs> he was so confident and so focused on what God had put him here to do that he was not insecure. Don't you want that kind of radical obedience? That reckless abandon that's really going to change the world? Do you want to live and die and not have an impact? If I want to be a Christ-like person, i got to get Christ's core convictions. Humility and obedience to the point of death. That's what I need. Philippians 3.10, again Paul talking. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Don't you guys want to know that power in your lives? But you know how you get it? I want to know the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. If I want to experience the power of God in my life, I also got to share in his sufferings, and I also got to share in his death, death to myself. And as I truly die to myself, I'm truly going to win this battle daily. I'm truly going to have the Christ-like attitudes that he desires for me to emulate. So a lifestyle of dying to myself produces a life that looks a whole lot like Jesus. The results of humility and obedience to the point of death, it's a radically changed human being that the world notices. And I want to give just some examples that may be pertinent to college students. These things might have to go. And I'm not being judgmental. I'm not telling you what things God wants you to sacrifice. That's between you and God. I don't know what you need to surrender. You know. Every one of us knows what issue God wants us to surrender. But fundamentally, guys, think about things like TV or other entertainment. Think about food. Think about sleeping in, negotiating with the alarm, free time, video games, girlfriends, boyfriends. Think about your GPA. Some, I, I've known students that had so much potential to make a difference for Christ on the campus, but they would rather die than get a 3.97, because <laughs> I better have a 4.0 when I graduate, okay? Who the heck cares about a 3.97 versus a 4.0? Honor God, do your best, but also be obedient to what He's called you to be. What about your summer break? What about your image and what your friends think of you? What about your gifts, your talents, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, even good ones? What about the rest of your life? God is calling some of you guys to surrender some of those issues. God is calling some of you guys to say, man, I've had that dream of being a D1 
D.O.W. Ranger my whole life. And God's saying, put it on the line right now. I had a dream of being a doctor. And God said, give it up. I want you to surrender that thing and let it die. Because I've called you to something different. And it was hard. It was hard at times. I remember when I first got hired, we did two years working before we joined staff. And I'd get to my new job and they take me to my new office. I've never had an office before, so I'm thinking that's pretty cool. Get to my office. It has one of those little doctor flip things on the outside of the door. I ripped it off and threw it in the trash can. I was so mad. Because it was t- it was pulling up this old desire that I had had. And I think it was God saying, like, hey, are you really going to give me that desire? And now I have a friend that's going to graduate next year from medical school. And every once in a while I think, what would it be like if that was me? And see, God has changed my desires to the point now where I'm glad it's not. And see, maybe you've had a dream your whole life, and God is saying, I want you to surrender that dream. And I want you to put it out there and give it to me. And maybe you'll get it back, but maybe not. Maybe I have something ten times better for you. Total obedience is always saying, yes, Lord. He's my Lord. Christ-like attitudes and actions will result. Think like Jesus, you're going to act like Jesus. Remember the fruit of the Spirit. A lot of you guys mentioned that a minute ago. Think about the results of that fruit. What would the results of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control be? Think people are going to like hanging out with you? Think your wife is going to like hanging out with you? Think your kids are going to like hanging out with you? See, the results of the fruit of the Spirit are going to be pretty amazing, guys. Until I get to that point of fully surrendering everything, it's pointless to try and change small attitudes. I want to read Philippians 2, 5-11 through 11 again. I really want you to listen to what Christ did for you, okay? Philippians 2, 5-11, through 11, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. This is the God of the universe. He takes that, the fullness of God himself, and he puts it off for you, Malcolm. I'm going to give up being God so that I can reach Taylor. And he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Can you imagine God? Have you ever made yourself nothing? Like Chase, have you ever just... I've never done that. I've never completely made myself nothing. Nothing. Can you imagine? I am nothing. Mark is a janitor at the airport. Some people think of that as a lowly job. He's... That's not. I mean, he still makes good money there, and he still serves people, and he's let God change him. But still, that's far from being nothing. Think about the worst homeless person, the worst poverty, the worst disease you've ever seen. Maybe leprosy. Nobody even wants to be around. That's nothing, right? The God of the universe made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He wanted to serve each one of you guys in here. He wanted to put your good first above his own. right? He was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. Can you imagine God humbling himself? as a human being, and then being obedient. And not just obedient. This is what bothers me, guys, is it's hard for me to be obedient to share my faith. Christ didn't just... He wasn't just obedient to that point. He was obedient to death. Nobody's ever said, Nate, I will kill you if you believe in God. And I said, okay, kill me. See, he was obedient to the point of death for each one of you guys. Even death on a cross, the most shaming and humiliating death possible. Therefore, and because of that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Mark, do you know that he did that for you? Heather, you know he did that for you? Aaron, Molly, Leah, Jatan, Malcolm even? He did that for you, Sam. He did it for you. Kirby and Spencer... Catherine, do you know he did that for you? Jessica, Samantha, Taylor, Jake, Chase, Jessica, Taylor, Becca, Brandon, James, Mark, Hetty, Barbara, Russ, Aaron, Linda, Luian, Nate. He did that for me. He was willing to put it all in line for me, guys. I'm just not ready to do that sometimes, you know? So, um... As we finish this tonight, how are you going to respond? And I think if I really grasp what he did for me, guys, it's going to create a sold-out life where I can never say no, Lord. I want to have that passionate love for God that comes out in every area of my life. I really want to surrender everything, and I hope you do too.
Guys, there's no compartmentalization. I can't take my Christian life and put it over here and live the rest of my life over here. God is saying it's either everything or nothing. I don't want you to be lukewarm. I want you to be hot or cold. And so right now, you guys all have that paper I passed out a minute ago? I'm going to play a song, and while that song is playing, I want you to write out issues that you want to surrender to God. I want this to be serious between you and God. Nobody's going to see this paper. But I want it to be something that you want to surrender to Him. And it could be several things. I don't know if it's relationships. I don't know if it's time. I don't know if it's... I was going to say, we really don't care if you come to Connect. We do. (laughs) I I don't want to say that. You being at Connect is not what makes me lose sleep at night. I pray for each of you guys mostly every day. And where you're at with God is what makes me lose sleep at night. Or gives me the greatest joy I can imagine. I hear students say things like, you know, I really can't come to Connect because I have so much to study, you know, or whatever. Guys, life is hard and school is hard. But I want you to get to a point tonight of surrender where you say, man, my walk with God is, is first and foremost. And somehow, somewhere, I need to be committed to Him. I need to be committed to fellowship with other believers that are going to encourage me. I need to be committed to discipleship. I need to be committed to taking steps of faith. I want you to start writing down issues that you feel God would want you to surrender and attitudes that you have that you want to see Him change. Because we're talking about attitudes right here. And I know that I can think of attitudes that I don't ever want to have again. I can think of things that I never want to feel again. And I can think of lots of issues that I want to surrender to God. If you finish early, just listen to the words of this song. They're really good.
You guys wrote, and uh, I don't want to know. It's between you and God. Um, but whatever it is, I want you to keep that card, put it in your Bible or something like that. Tomorrow morning in your quiet time, talk with God about it. Tonight, talk with God about it. If it's something that you want to talk to somebody else here about it, you know, go for that. Talk to somebody else here if you if you like. I love you guys, and I, I hope that this issue of complete surrender to Him will bring you to that place where your core convictions are where they need to be to have the Christ-like attitudes that he desires for you to have every single day. And then my further hope is that that will produce a lifestyle of Christ-like actions, which is what Mark is going to hit tomorrow.